Um, so what I wanted to speak on today is perspective. And perspective is defined as particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something, a point of view. Our perspective doesn't just come from what we are looking at, but where we are looking from. A lot of things that can influence how we perceive something and how somewhat, oops, I'm sorry, I skipped. <laughs> I have to read this from my phone, by the way. Um, can influence how we perceive something and how someone else may see the same exact thing. So the example that came to me was um, a, a good friend of mine loves those cornflower blue flowers, the chicory flowers that are by the side of the road. Personally, when they show up in my yard, I mow them down. Um, I don't care for them. They take up space. They're in my way. They don't make my grass look pretty. But she, that's the only flower she will put in a vase. She doesn't like roses, she doesn't like carnations, she only likes those chicory flowers and, and asks her husband to get them for her. Perspective, right? Um, and I just thought about that and sometimes we need to change how we look at things and what we put value into. And one of the things that hit me the hardest and I'm sure Kelly can agree with me on this one, um, the closure of school last spring was really hard. Um, and when it came down, for those of us that love what we do and love the people we do it with, it was heartbreaking. Um, it was scary. It was really, for a lot of reasons, just how are we going to make it what kids need? How are we going to keep them safe? Because some, some kids, let's face it, don't go home to the same homes we have. Um, and there were so many unanswered questions, and it was really tough. And, and still, even through it all, there was about one day a week where I went, what am I doing? Please help me. I, I'm not doing what's best for kids. And that's always been my standard when I'm teaching, is if I'm not doing what's best for kids, what am I doing? Um, I've been a teacher for 27 years. I really should know why I'm doing things at this point. And then I stopped, and I started thinking back on it. Now, while I was in it, I didn't see this as much. But now that I can look back at it, I realized a lot of good things came out of that, that chaos that I perceived at the time. Um, I got to know my families and my kids on a completely different level. I knew where my kids lived. I knew what color their kitchen was. Some of them I got to see their bedrooms because they took their computer upstairs, and uh, one of them dropped it, and she ended up having to get a new computer. Um, but, but I got to know them on a whole different level. Um, I got to meet their parents. I got to talk to their parents on a regular basis. They were asking me tech questions at 10 o'clock at night, and they were <laughs> calling me on Saturday mornings. And I was in contact with the parents so much more frequently than I am in a regular school year. I got to know their siblings. Um, I got to meet some of the little siblings, the babies that, you know, the baby siblings that were at home. I got to meet their animals. One family um, shared that they bottle fed their baby goat in the kitchen. Yes, you know them. Um, they, they, they let me watch them feed the baby goat in the kitchen. Another family had a litter of um, puppies. They were breeding puppies. So I got to watch the puppies grow up. And I got to watch them um, check their beasts beehives. They, had, they were beekeepers, and I got to see the ducklings that they had in their house in a pond in the house that ended up going outside once they got bigger. So there were all these things that, it, if it was a normal school year, I never would have seen or known about these kids, and it made my connection with them even stronger, and so even though it was crazy and I didn't finish the school year the way that I 
typically do or wanted to. These are, this is a class of kids I will never forget because I had some experiences with them that were just so different. Um, so it was all about shifting my perspective and looking back and saying, wow, I, you know, I, I even texted one of the moms one day and said, I know your daughter loves frogs and I have frogs in my pond. Can I have a play date on Zoom with your daughter <laughs> so she can see my frogs? You know, those are things that I wouldn't have done or had the opportunity to do in a normal, typical school year. So it, it was all about shifting my perspective. Um, and then it, it taught me, sorry, my phone locked. It taught me about gratitude and being thankful. And um, my daughter bought me the shirt, Rejoice in the Day and, and, and Be Glad in it. She says, Mom, that looks like you, so I thought you should have it. And one of the things that I also shared with the first group is a couple of them noticed that, yes, my mask matches. This is my perspective on this. This is a new opportunity to accessorize. All of my masks have to match my outfits. It's my mother in me. I'm sorry. So anyway, it's another opportunity to shop, too. So it's all perspective. Um, but gratitude um, is one of the strongest and most transformative states of being. It shifts your perspective from lack to abundance. And it allows you to focus on the good in your life, which in turn pulls more goodness into your reality. I don't know if I said this before, but I am totally preaching to the choir with this because I need this message as much as I feel other people might. I had to really stop and think, you know, th this isn't all bad. There are some good things. You know, we've spent more time together than we usually do because we don't have committee meetings and we don't have running and we don't have all the, and that is a good thing, or at least I think it is. He's not going to answer. <laughs> We've had more time to focus on our home and our family. And um, so I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I am uh, the first one to tell you I lose perspective regularly and I become unfocused on looking for the good. Um, so we have in our bathroom, there's a, a sign on the bathroom wall that say, says every day is a gift. And so every day, as I get out of the shower, that's the first thing I see. Every day is a gift. And your perspective allows you to open that gift and use it in the way that um, could be positive. And um, so I'm trying very hard to open a positive gift every day. And when you see those chicory flowers, remember that most of us see them as weeds, but they are special flowers to some people. Um, I found a prayer uh, that I felt was appropriate that it tied in with this message um, written by a 17-year-old girl who was suffering the pain of a debilitating disease. So would you join me in prayer, please? Lord, let me wake up every morning and be thankful for the wonderful life that you have given me. Help me to see the good in things. Help me to be happy with who I am and the life that I am living. Lead me down the path that you have set for me. Guide me in the way that I get to show the world my gifts. I put all in your hands, Jesus. Use me as your vessel. I thank you for my health, my loves, abilities, family, friends, and most of all, this life. I will do great things in your name. Amen. And will you please join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Elaine. That perspective check. And let's want to continue on with that theme and share a song uh, via video with you this morning. And uh, just to remind us that in all of this that's going on, we have a good, good father, don't we? Amen. Amen. Now, from our studio in LA, I'll give you <laughs> Kathleen. Good morning. Let me ask you a silly question. Do you ever sleep? What about that, Tristan and Xavier? Do you guys sleep? Or do you stay awake all day, every day? I think you spend some time sleeping, right? Well, I know I do. Some people may lose sleep sometimes. Sometimes they're up worrying about things, uh, thinking about the next day, uh, so they lose sleep. Sometimes people sleep during the day and work at night. Um, there's all different ways that people sleep. Some people even sleep at church. And... Some people think that they don't know, that people won't know that they're sleeping at church. But I'll bet Pastor Ron knows who's dozed off in church. What do you guys think? Yeah, I bet he sees the snoozers. Um, animals sleep too. And one animal sleeps standing up. You know what animal that is? I can't hear you, but it's a horse. Horses lock their legs in place, and they're able to sleep standing up. Um, of all the animals in the world, do you know which one sleeps the longest? It's the koala bear. A koala bear actually sleeps 22 hours a day. And our days have what? 24 hours, right? So koala bears sleep all but two hours out of those 24 hours. You know what animals awake for those 22 hours? It's an animal, I'll give you a hint. An animal with a long, long neck. The giraffe. A giraffe is awake for 22 hours a day. They only sleep for two hours. That's pretty incredible. I would not be able to think straight if I only got two hours of sleep every day. How much do you think God sleeps? What do you think? Well, 
Do you think he sleeps in the nighttime or during the day? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 121, verse 3, he who watches over you will not slumber. God doesn't sleep. He's always awake. Why? Because he's always busy watching over you, watching over me, watching over all of us. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty safe and secure to know that God is always watching over us. So if you wake up in the middle of the night after a bad dream, or maybe you heard a scary noise, or maybe you're up worried about something and can't sleep, you can always talk to God about it because he's awake and ready to listen. Let's thank him for that now. Father, we thank you for watching over us and taking care of us all of the time, even in the middle of the night. I just pray, God, that you comfort us and help us to remember that at any moment we can call upon you because you never sleep and you never slumber. In Jesus' name, amen. Wish I could be there to hear you kids and respond back and forth, but I miss all of you guys and uh, looking forward to seeing you back at church and seeing you all again. Let's get into the word this morning. Go ahead and turn to Genesis and chapter 39. Genesis 39. And I want to share a message this morning that I'm going to call Navigating Through the Craziness. Navigating through the craziness. So here we are. We are still in the midst of a pandemic, a pandemic that is not slowing down. As a matter of fact, a lot of uh, uh, places around the country, it's actually ramping up. Uh, that's why I'm in quarantine here because we visited. Indiana, and while we were there, Indiana went on the list because their numbers are increasing. Uh, fortunately, uh, Kathleen, who works for the Highland Hospital System, uh, she was mandated not only to report, but that she uh, had to have a COVID test on Monday, got her results back on Tuesday, I'm thankful to say, and she is COVID-free. Uh, so I'm assuming that I am also COVID-free but we're gonna do the right thing and uh, keep ourselves apart for the two weeks like we're supposed to, be a good example and all that kind of thing. Um, but uh, like I say, you look around the country, places like Florida, Texas, different states, it's actually increasing, hospitalizations increasing, all of that. Uh, add to that the fact that we don't know what to believe out of all the information coming out, hydrochloroquine is in, or hydroxychloroquine is in, it's out, it's good, it's bad, it doesn't work, this and that and the other thing. Um, all this, uh, you don't know where to go for the truth, right? On top of all of that, the economy has been greatly affected. Uh, maybe you, maybe people you know, uh, jobs being affected. Uh, in the midst of all of that, there is a global movement for social change. 
which uh, a lot of that is good, but, but in the midst of that, you've got people that have hijacked that for political purposes and their own gain. And it's just crazy out there, isn't it? It's nuts, right? So what do we do when the world is crazy? What do we do? I am so thankful for the word of God, not only in the practical wisdom that it gives us for our lives, but also for the examples that it gives us in the lives of other people. And we can see how God works and be able to say, you know what? God is, as the Bible says, no respecter of persons. If God's going to work that way with someone else, he's going to work that way with me. And uh, we can get a glimpse of God like that and, and rest in that. For example, I want to look at Joseph this morning. Uh, when Joseph is a little boy, God gives him prophetic dreams, dreams that somehow he is going to be a great leader. And so Joseph, he's excited. He tells these dreams to his family, uh, his brothers in particular, who already don't like him because he's the family favorite and they're jealous. So in Genesis 37, they end up selling him into slavery. They actually, first, they throw him into a pit because uh, they just don't like him. <laughs> and then there's a caravan that comes by and they, they sell him to these traders as a slave. So can you imagine what is going on in Joseph's mind? He wakes up in one world, a familiar world, right? And then, boom, he's in the middle of crazy. He's in the middle. What is happening? I don't get this. Um, he goes from one thing to now he's tied or he's shackled and he's on his way who knows where. He doesn't even know where these guys are going. I, I don't even know if he knew their language and could figure all of that out, right? So he's beside himself. Then in Genesis uh, chapter 39, verses 1 to 4, we see this. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Do you see it? We can't miss this. The Lord was with Joseph, even in the crazy even as a slave, even though he's in this unfamiliar place, even though he is someone else's property, even in this, I don't get it, why is this going on? God is with him. He is moved from the slave quarters with everybody else into the house. He is set over the other slaves. He's set over the house. He is Potiphar's right-hand man, a position of respect, a position of of authority, right? Wow, awesome, in the midst of crazy. So then what happens? Then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. But what does, uh, what does Joseph do? 
he does the right thing. Genesis 39, verse 8. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put me in charge of everything that he has. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, this passage absolutely amazes me. Because here is Joseph. He's still in the midst of crazy, isn't he? He's still in, in a foreign nation. He is still the servant of somebody else. He's not his own man. He is not free. He could have been bitter. He could have been bitter against God, right? You gave me these dreams. Uh, I was a, a child of Israel and all the promises. And now here I am, you know, in this situation. He could have spent his days complaining to whoever would listen to him. He could have tried to escape. He could have tried to lead a coup, right? Uh, he could have done his work grudgingly or, or, or just up to a basic standard, just not caring, uh, just enough not to get in trouble. Uh, he could have figured out ways to skim off the top, right? Because now he's in this position. He could have cheated in the books uh, to pad his own pocket, to get what he wanted. He could have had uh, Potiphar's wife, right? But in the midst of all the crazy, he is determined to walk with God, to live his life as a follower of God, even though he doesn't understand it all. Even though he can't make heads or tails of what God's doing, he decides to hold on to his faith. And, and, and look at him. He works hard. He works hard for his Egyptian master. He does his best. And you can even feel a sense of pride and satisfaction in his work, right? Even a sense of thankfulness in his words that he has been allowed to have this position and and be set over the house and that Potiphar doesn't have to worry about anything you know there's a, there's a sense of gratitude in his words um what what an what an incredible incredible uh perspective right incredible attitude then uh something else happens Potiphar's wife is still after him uh, one day she sends all the other servants out of the house. She even grabs a hold of his shirt, you know, come on. And what does he do? Again, he does the right thing. Instead of saying, you know what, I've been through all this hardship. I deserve this. No, he, he does the right thing. Verse 12, uh, Genesis 39, he leaves his garment in her hand and flees out of the house. That is, that is one of the best <laughs> scriptures for uh, temptation in the scriptures, the best uh, pictures of what we just, sometimes we just need to run, right? Good, good advice from Joseph. He does the right thing. But again, what happens? Uh, Potiphar's wife is scorned. She's humiliated. All she can think to do now, she's going to scream out. And then everybody comes in and she tells everyone that he tried to have his way with her and he show, she shows him his, his uh, shirt as proof. So Joseph, who does the right thing, is now thrown into jail. When he did the right thing, 
again, what's going through his mind? This is crazy. This is nuts. I've dedicated myself to the Lord. I'm doing the right stuff. And now I'm in jail. What in the world are you doing, God? What's going on here? Again, he has opportunity to give up, to get bitter, to throw away his faith, to tell God how unfair he is. And, and, and let me tell you this. Um, there are times that I have done this. <laughs> there are times, I can remember years ago, a uh, situation was not working out the way I thought it was supposed to. And I can remember, like it was yesterday, standing in the midst of a field in the middle, uh, not in the middle of the night, but at night, looking up into the scars and stars and just screaming at the Lord, what do you want from me? I don't get this. I don't get what's going on. I'm trying to do the right thing here. And it looks like everything is falling apart. What do you want from me? You know, it's okay for us to express our concerns to God, our questions to God, our emotions to God. Because when we can let out that steam, um, then we don't take it out on other people. Then we don't give in to anger and, and rage and all these kind of things. Get it out in the Lord's presence. I can tell you, God can take it. God can take the worst of our, of our kicking and screaming and our questions and our hollering and, and our emotions. God can take all that. Because once we let out that steam, then we can sit in the Lord's presence and say, God, what's going on here? And God can begin to talk to us in the quietness of our heart. So once again, for Joseph, it's nuts. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. And I am, I am sure, uh, again, that Joseph is not so stinking spiritual. I mean, we put him up on a pedestal and, and Joseph was just like, oh, okay, I'll just go to prison. No big deal. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. No. Joseph hit a crisis of faith. He had to have. He's human. He's trying to figure it out. He doesn't get it. He's wrestling with this situation. He's wrestling with God. Just like Abraham, when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right? Well, what do you mean, sacrifice Isaac? I don't get this. You've promised me all this uh, that, that we're going to become a great nation and all this, and it's all supposed to come through Isaac. What do you mean sacrifice him? I don't get this. Just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there is a wrestling that takes place in our hearts and our lives sometimes when we don't understand and we wrestle through this crisis of faith and we get it all out and we finally say, okay, God, I don't understand it all, but you're God. And I'm going to hold on to you. And that's what Joseph did. He decided he was going to continue to trust the Lord. He decided he was going to hold on to his faith. He decided he was going to continue to walk with God with all his heart. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in jail and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was to be done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. God was still with Joseph in the next level of crazy, right? 
even though it wasn't all working out, obviously, according to Joseph's preference, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't, uh, you know, uh, three squares and a nice comfy bed and all that back then, uh, internet, uh, TV, n none of that stuff, right? It was probably dark and damp and uh, probably not good facilities, if you know what I mean. Um, no, but God was with him. Notice that in both the circumstances, in the jail and, and in Potiphar's house, God gave Joseph favor with others. They saw something different in him. They saw the kind of life that he lived. You and I have got to understand that Joseph here, he's still a slave. He was a foreigner. He was a convict. It was all something to be looked down on by other people. It was all negative. But through his continued godly, unselfish behavior, he gained recognition and respect, and God blessed him with favor. This is so important for you and I in our day and in our time, because we have, uh, number one, a culture that looks negatively upon followers of Christ, don't they? They look at us as narrow-minded, as bigoted, as haters of people that don't agree with us. Um, but through our continued Christ-honoring words and actions, God would give us favor with people. God would give us favor with those around and an opportunity then to perchance open people's eyes to the gospel. Isn't that the important thing? God never promised Joseph and he never promised you and me that there would be no trials, that there would be no struggles, that there would be no conflicts, that there would be no times that we just don't understand what's going on. But he did promise through it all that he would never leave us and never forsake us. And that's just what happened in Joseph's life. Because not only was God showing himself faithful to Joseph, but God was working something in all of those crazy circumstances, getting Joseph from where he was in the comfort of his own home through uncomfortableness into Egypt. God was working something behind the scenes, something greater than Joseph or anybody else could have imagined. Because if you remember the story, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna condense this, um, the rest of it, but Joseph went on to interpret the dream of a cellmate who was Pharaoh's cupbearer. And he was, the cupbearer was in, exactly like Joseph said, in three days he was restored back to his position, cleared of all charges, and was back attending uh, the Pharaoh. Joseph says, remember me, right? When you get back to the, the king that I did this for you. Well, guess what? He forgot about him. For two more years, Joseph is in jail. Again, more opportunity to just forget it all. But Joseph holds on to his faith. Two more years of crazy, and then finally, Pharaoh has a dream. 
a dream which he shares with his advisors, his counselors, his magicians, and all these other people. Tell me what this dream means. Nobody could figure it out. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer goes, wait a minute. I know a guy. <laughs> I met him in prison. I told him my dream. He interpreted it happened exactly the way he said it would. You need, you need to check with this Joseph dude. So they bring Joseph to Pharaoh. Pharaoh shares his dream with Joseph. And Joseph says, okay, here's what's going on, Pharaoh. And he tells them that they're going to have seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of the most severe famine that's, that's um, gone on in the land, and that the kingdom would expire. Most of the known world was under Egypt at that point. The whole world basically is going to uh, be devastated through this famine if you don't uh, take matters into your own hand. And, and look what he's doing. He's, he's talking to a king that's not his king. He's talking about a country that's not his country, but he's giving advice. He is helping. He is ministering to this king in this country. Um, again, not turning inward, but turning outward, being a blessing. And what happens? Pharaoh says, you know, with that kind of wisdom, I'm going to put you in charge so that uh, what you say that we need to stockpile food in these seven years, what you say that that'll all come to pass. And Pharaoh raised him up to be second only to Pharaoh. He was prime minister of basically the known world back then. Who in their right mind could have seen that coming? But not only did uh, Joseph save Egypt, not only did Joseph save most of the known world, Joseph saved his nation from starvation and extinction. Joseph saved the Jewish race through whom would come none other than a man named Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would give his life on the cross to save you and me from our sins. What an incredible thing happened because Joseph got thrown into crazy, but God who ruled it all had a plan. God had a plan in the midst of the craziness. You and I can understand that in our craziness, God is still on the throne. God has a plan. Not only, again, is he working things together for our good, but he is working for the good of this nation, for the good of this world. God is moving and working in all of the craziness. So it's up to us, up to us to determine to walk as disciples of Christ as never before to walk in our identity as believers in him, as followers of him. It's up to us to be kind, to be helpful, to be patient, to be the voice of encouragement. There is enough right going back and forth. We need to be the ones to be uh, the peacemakers, the encouragers, the strengtheners, right? The voice of hope, to be looking. Um, not for arguments to let everybody know where we stand, but we need to be looking rather for opportunities to be a blessing to others. 
Because as Jesus taught us, people are not won over by arguments. People are won over by love, aren't they? This is our time to shine. This is our time to shine. God is going to be faithful to us. God is up to something in our day and in our time. And it's like the days of Joseph. It's going to be bigger than any one of us can imagine. And God is looking for faithful people through whom he can bring his plan to pass. Amen. So let us draw near to the Lord. Let us seek his face. Let us determine to hear his voice, to be led by his spirit, to walk as Jesus would have us to walk and see what God will do in us, through us, through our church, and in our world. And we will look back on these days of crazy and go, you know what? (laughs) God be praised. He had a plan in this thing all along. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are, your your ways are higher than ours. Your thoughts are higher than ours, Lord. Thank you that when we don't get it, you do. Thank you, Lord, that in all the crazy, you still have a plan and a purpose. So God, once again, We just surrender ourselves to you. We give our lives to you. Jesus, be not only Savior, but be Lord. Lead us by your Spirit. Lead us according to your word. Empower us, Lord, to be like you in the world. That we might gain those positions of favor, that we might be able to share your love and goodness with others. And that, Lord, you would use all of it, God. Fulfill your plan and purpose. We thank you. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. want to share a song as we Prepare our hearts for communion this morning. If you did not pick up one of our all-in-one communion cups this morning, uh, go ahead and grab one. They should be uh, on the usher's table when you come in. But uh, let's listen to the words of this familiar song and prepare our hearts for the table of the Lord this morning. Amen. What beautiful, beautiful words affirming what Jesus has done for us and how he will be there for us in in everything. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, uh, reminding ourselves not only of that gracious gift of salvation and his sacrifice on our behalf, Reminded the Apostle Paul, speaking of uh, to the church about 
communion. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body because we partake of that same loaf. And I, I love the picture there. Uh, we're, we're not going to get it, obviously, today in our uh, system that we've got. But in, in the olden times, they would take the one loaf and they would pass it around and everyone would eat partake of the same thing, the picture uh, that we are one. And Jesus said this, uh, it, for the world to know that you're my disciples is the love that you have for one another. As Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, he said, you guys are loving one another. He says, do it all the more, do it more deeply. I want to encourage you this morning, uh, way back in the book of Genesis, God looked down uh, on, on man. He looked down on Adam. He said, you know what? It's not good for him to be alone. And part of what we are doing, gathering together, getting back into the church is absolutely wonderful. But we also want to, and I, and I know this is going on, people are getting together in smaller groups with other people. Hey, we've got great weather that we have been able to uh, get outside, we can put lawn chairs up, you know, six feet apart. Let's make sure that we are doing that. Let's make sure that we are continuing to connect with one another as a body, person to person. Uh, we need that, right? God knows we need that, that personal interaction with people. And uh, so let me just encourage that this morning. Uh, when you see prayer requests, come over, give somebody a jingle. Hey, just let you know I'm praying for you. Uh, that kind of thing. Do it more and more and more, and uh, we will all be blessed because of it. Amen. So we come together this morning as one in the body of Christ, as a as the family of God here at First Baptist Church, and uh, we want to come into His presence and commune with Him. So let's take out our I don't know if you've ever seen these before. Uh, you can just take the top one off, which will open up to a little wafer inside. And here we are. Jesus said, as often as you would partake of this, this is my body, this represents my body that's broken for you. As often as you would do this, do it in remembrance of me. So as we remember his sacrifice and remember our oneness together, let's partake of this symbol of the Lord's broken body. Likewise, he took the cup and carefully, there's a lot of adhesive on this, carefully peel that back. Likewise, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the covenant that's not based that God says, I'm going to uh, make you promises if you're good enough each and every day. Now, this is a covenant that's based on what Jesus did for us with the promise that God will never leave us and never forsake us. 
Amen. So with praise in our hearts, let's partake of this symbol of the Lord's shed blood. Once again, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for coming into the midst of our crazy world and accomplishing your purpose. Thank you for enlightening our hearts, Lord, drawing us to yourself through the gospel. And may we shine for you, Lord, in these end days for your glory and your honor. Make us a part of what you're doing, Lord. Be glorified in it. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Back, back to you in New York. I, I shared in the earlier service, I came in and I had not gotten, a, a bened, gotten to the benediction in my planning. And so the joke was, I was just going to say, bedeet, 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 that's all, folks. But... Um, <laughs> Nikki Slay told me that was her favorite part, <laughs> so I had to share it with you. But I did find something. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Amen. God bless you all. We appreciate you. We'll see you via Zoom next week. Have a great week. <laughs>